Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Hey, well, would you just bow your heads in prayer with me? Um, we kind of, one of the things we committed to do over the last couple months was this, the, the first Sunday of the month, we're going to pray that God would bring healing and reconciliation to our nation and to our world among the races. And so we're just going to pray and ask the Lord who's over all of us, the one who made us all, to bring healing. So would you just pray with me? Perfect Father in heaven, you are the Father and creator of every tribe, tribe, tongue, and nation. Do you remind us today that we are created in your image and show us how it is we can honor one another as your creation. We acknowledge the brokenness that exists in our world and in our city. We've shown partiality and favoritism intentionally and unintentionally. We've often turned a blind eye to injustice. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We confess that we do not always see people how you see them. Father, would you keep us humble as we seek to love like you love? We pray for every kingdom. We pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For every tribe, tongue, and nation to praise your name in perfect harmony for all eternity. Father, we pray it through your Son and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, turn with me to John chapter 15. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you why we're in this series that we've begun. And we sent out a survey several weeks ago. And as you're turning to John 15 and looking, looking that up, let me, I want to tell you why we're in this series called Day by Day. We sent out the survey a few weeks ago. And those of you that replied, we got the results back. And I want to share with you just a little bit of the results. You know kind of where you are to collectively as a, as a church family. And one of the things you shared, we asked you about your areas of greatest struggle. And the number one thing on your list was time management. And so there were, there were several things that were listed there, places that you just feel like, and it's a struggle for me to, uh, to, to manage my time. You see also Bible study, uh, comparison with others, and sharing the gospel. There's other things on that list, but the number one was time management. And then areas of, great, of growth, places where you desired to grow spiritually, uh, the thing that most of you said was that you desired to grow in the area of prayer. And so that's why we're taking 40 days uh, here as a a body. We're working through this series called Day by Day. But we're also, uh, in in just a couple weeks, we're going to enter into kind of a 40-day journal to go, or 40-day journey to go through a journal together. And so uh, this Day by Day devotional book that we've got, we're just asking everyone to pick up a copy. And you, I think you can, you can pick up a digital copy for less than a cup of coffee. And so it's, it's not a super expensive book. You can pick up a hardback for, I think, just under 10 bucks. But, or not a hardback, but a hard copy for just under 10 bucks. Uh, but we're asking you just to make that investment and to go through this with us together as a church family because we think it's gonna help you grow in the areas of your greatest struggle and the areas where you desire to grow. Um, and so... Uh, we're also going to offer some kind of online equipping workshops to walk you through that. We're going to connect you with some other people to help encourage you as you do that. But we just want to go through this. We're going to do this, start this on August the 12th, and that will begin our kind of a 40-day journey of we're just going to work through this devotional together. And I think there's something about committing and just doing something together as a church family and walking through something that will help shape us and, and help encourage, um, encourage us as a church family. So turn with me to John chapter 15. 
And we're going to continue this exploration of this, um, this image that Jesus gave us about being the vine and we're the branches that are connected to the vine and we draw life from the vine. And so let me read with us in John chapter 15. I'm not going to read the entire passage this time, but I'm going to start in verse four. It says, abide with me or abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is the teaching of Jesus as he began to instruct his disciples about what it meant, what it would look like to draw life from him after he was gone. So it's part of the farewell discourse that he is going to depart. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to eventually ascend and go to be his father in heaven. And he's leaving the disciples behind and they're starting to panic. And he says, let me tell you what it's like for you whenever I'm gone. He says, I want you to abide in me. Meaning I'm going away, but you still are going to be connected to me. In fact, I'm going to be so closely to you that it's going to be like a vine organically connected to branches and the vine pushes out nourishment to the branches and I'm going to provide for you and care for you and give you life. And so Jesus is wanting them to understand this image of the vine. Now, if you've ever looked at a vine, there's little tendrils that uh, kind of spin off of that. And then there's branches that produce, that come off of that, that eventually produce the grapes or produce the fruit. And so what Jesus wants us to understand is that the vine's job is to support the branches and to nourish the branches so that they would do their job. The vine, Jesus, his job is to support the branches. He supports us and he nourishes us. What's the job of the branches? The job of the branches is don't fall off, Right? Like the job of the branches is stay attached to the vine, stay connected to the vine and receive nourishment from the vine. And so the branches job is just, man, stay where you are and let him fill you. Let him, let him feed you, let him nourish you. And so as we think about that, Jesus told us that all of this really is about our joy, that the key, the key to a fruitful and joyful life for us is, is the branches that are connected to the vine is to remain or abide on the vine and to, to receive nourishment from the vine. And that will automatically produce something good in us. So you, you kind of see how this image works? Um, so you've got this all mastered, you got it all figured out, right? Now, see what happens here with the next question we ask, that we ought to ask when we get here is, well, that all sounds wonderful. How the heck do I do that, right? Like, how do I do that? How do I stay in the vine? How do I receive nourishment from the vine? How do I bear fruit? And how do I find the joy that Jesus keeps talking about that's fullness and overflowing joy? Because I'd love to have some of that, right? And so as we get into this picture, as we think about this, we're gonna look at this over the next couple of weeks. And we, we're gonna talk about how it is we stay constantly connected to Jesus and how it is that, he flow, that, that, that nourishment flows into us from him. And there's various names for really what we talk about this, but we're going to look at what for centuries has been called spiritual disciplines. It's been called the developing a rule of life. It's devotional practices. But these concepts all get at the idea of how it is that we posture ourselves in a way that we stay connected to Jesus and we receive nourishment from him. So we call them practices or disciplines because they're things we have to learn to do and experiences over time. Now, here's the thing about spiritual disciplines. In some ways, they're not hard at all. In some ways, they're very simple. But in other ways, you're going to mine the depths of these for your entire life and never stop learning how to do this. And we all feel novi like novices when it comes to the spiritual disciplines and, and these practices and what we think. Now, in many ways, here's, the next few weeks may feel a little bit different because these are practices that honestly are more caught than taught. 
And so I can, I can instruct you. I can give you lots of information about them. But the spiritual disciplines are more about our transformation than they are about the information that we can, that we can take in. And so there are things that you have to practice. And if you don't practice them, you're not going to grow in these areas. And so this is going to be something that's why we're taking these 40 days and saying, look, we want to have an experience together of learning how to do these things as a people. And so as you think about this, it really looks a lot like what Jesus did. If you think about Jesus in the, in the Gospels, he gathers these 12 guys and he begins to do life with them. And he, he, he gathers them because he says he wanted to be with them. And he walked with them and they lived with him and they talked a lot and they heard all his teaching and they watched him pray and they watched him heal. And they watched him teach. They watched him tell others about uh, the kingdom of, of God and how they could be connected to it. And as they walked through all these things, they observed. And so Jesus taught them and he showed them how to do these things. And then there was moments where Jesus stopped and he said, okay, now you guys go do them. And the disciples would be like, okay. And they'd wander off, usually two by two, because he wouldn't send them out by themselves. And they would go and try to do ministry and they would try to pray and they would try to heal and they would teach and they would do these things. And oftentimes they would come back and they'd go, well, Jesus, it didn't work like when we did it, it didn't work like when you did it. And Jesus would sit back down and go, well, let me teach you a little more about this. And so this is kind of God's plan for our discipleship is not just that we sit down at the feet and listen all the time, but that we have to actually experience and do and grow in these areas that take us kind of stepping out and trying some new things. And so that's the heart behind what we want to do. And we think that's going to help, uh, help you guys grow in all these different ways that we're, that we're talking about. And so in doing this, um, I want to give you one warning because I just know some of you that have been around church have got this little thing in the back of your head like, oh no, we could get to legalism. Like we could get to box checking. And, and so I just want to say, we're not talking about that. Like if you look at this and you, look, you approach the spiritual disciplines and say, man, this is just one more thing that I've got to kind of pull myself up by the bootstraps and do this whole thing in my self-effort. Like that's not going to lead you to a place of growth and health. If you look at this as, man, the, the church is just now going to give me boxes to check and it's like paying my taxes. And if I pay enough, they're going to let me stick around. Like, this is not what that is. That's going to lead to some duty. It's never going to lead you to delight. It's not going to lead you to the joy that Jesus is talking about here. It's interesting to me that Jesus takes a very organic image, doesn't he? He doesn't take this kind of mechanistic process of if you sit down and you do these four things, you're going to get this output. He takes this organic process of, hey, you be attached to me. You abide in me. You live in me. You dwell and remain in me, and I'm going to produce good stuff in you. But it's very much more, uh, more of an organic process. So keep in mind, we're not, we're not coming with a sense of legalism or perfectionism. There's not kind of two-tiered Christians. We're coming with a sense of humility, saying we just want to abide in Christ. We want to receive from him because we want to experience growth and joy that he offers us. Now, before we get to the disciplines, I want to talk a little bit about one of the main problems that we have in this area. And to do that, I want us to look in another passage of Scripture. I want us to go back and look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at two sisters that really give us a good picture of the problem that we encounter in our own heart. Jesus encountered this problem with these two ladies, Mary and Martha. And so I want you to listen to Mary and Martha and kind of what their experience was like. It says, now as the disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him and, and invited her, him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. 
And the Lord said, Martha, Martha. I think if he was from the South, that would have said sweetheart there. Like he'd go, Martha, Martha, sweetheart, right? Like there'd have been some other kind of thing he'd thrown in there. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. So you get this interaction between Mary and Martha and Jesus and this whole interaction of what's going on. Think of it about, I think about Martha, that she sits at Jesus' feet. And she's listening while, I mean, Mary, while Martha's running around like crazy, frantically trying to make sure everything's in control, right? Um, can you relate to that? I mean, can you relate to the situation of inviting someone over and you just feel the pressure and the weight of, like, what appetizers do you serve Jesus? Like, that could be a thing, right? And so you understand, but she invited him over and they're there and she's trying to figure out what to do. But think about the two verbs that, that it uses to describe Mary. There's two verbs that that are given that describe how Mary interacted. It said, she sat down and she listened. That's what she did. Later, Jesus is going to say, Mary had the good part, right? And like, it makes sense. She sat down. She was very present. She was very attentive. She was very engaged with what Jesus was saying and what he was doing. Now, think about the, the, the word for Martha that was used, which is very different, right? The word that was used for Martha was she was distracted. Mary sat. And she listened, attentive. Martha was distracted with all these worries and all these other things she, would do, she was doing. Now, we would normally think of serving as a good thing, right? What was it that distracted, Mar- that distracted Martha so much? Much serving. See, in Martha's mind, she was doing the spiritual thing. In Martha's mind, she was, she was the spiritual giant that was up serving, doing the important stuff that needed to get done. And it's why she says to Jesus, Jesus, make her get up and come over here and help me. Because I'm being spiritual. She's not being spiritual. She's just sitting there listening to you. And so she's kind of judgmental and harsh in the way she approached. But this ought to give us a little bit of pause, right? Is it fascinating to you that Martha was completely convinced that she was the more spiritual person in the story? She was entirely sure that she was right. In fact, she's even mad a little bit at Jesus. She says to Jesus, do you not care about what's going on? Like Jesus, do you not see the spiritual reality of my life? Do you not understand what's happening all around me? And she's a little bit harsh and angry at Jesus and asking him, get over, here, get over here and fix this thing. She's distracted. She's not paying attention to Jesus. She's got all this stuff, this anxiety and anger and frustration in her heart that's making her run around like a chicken with her head cut off. So there's, there's something there that ought to give us a little bit of pause. You know what she says about her sister? She left me all alone. See, sometimes when we're angry, what's happening is we're, we're really just feeling out of control. We're feeling a little bit fear. We're feeling a little bit vulnerable. And then that vulnerability, it causes us to want to control everything to make sure that everything's okay. And so we begin to lash out at those around us. And that's what she does towards her sister and towards Jesus. You see, there's a danger here in our spiritual lives that we can think we see everything perfectly, but we're actually missing out on the one thing that matters most. And that's what you see in this story. Jesus says you were distracted by many things. The point is that we can get distracted by these secondary things to the point that that the most important things get left behind in our lives. Now, for us, as we think about kind of how this relates to us, life's full of trade-offs, isn't it? Like we've got a limited amount of time. And your daytimer, there was one time I actually tried to enter a deal on my daytimer and it said something like, you have 16 other events scheduled at this time which was really kind of frightening when I looked at that. Like you can, you're allowed to schedule so many things on your daytimer that it can do that, but I can't be in 16 places at once, can I? 
So I have to make a, I have to make a choice. You have to choose where you're going to put your energy, where you're going to put your time, where you're going to put your effort. And you have to decide between different things because you're a limited being and you can't be everywhere at once and you can't do everything you want to do. And so Martha and Mary both had a choice and one made a good choice and one made the wrong choice. Verse 40, she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me alone to her to help? This is, this is why the stress, when the stress bubbles up, that we become sometimes controlling the way in which we, we react. But you know, it's what, how Jesus responds. He says, Mary's the one that chose the good portion. What did Mary do? She did very little, right? She sat down and she listened. That was what she did. And Jesus said, she got it right because she was fully present with the Lord. She was fully engaged with the Lord. She was there listening to the Lord. She cared about what he was. She wasn't merely kind of letting the things of her life come in and just throwing those at the Lord like Martha was, but she was being willing to sit. See, I think many of us suffer from what I call the Martha syndrome, that our minds are so full of worry and anxiety and anger that we have, it's almost impossible for us just to be with the Lord, for us to sit with the Lord, for us to, to be present with him. But I'm pretty convinced that God wants to be more than the complaint department. You know what I mean by the complaint department? Like you go to a big box store and there's always like a card somewhere. They usually hide it in the corner where it's hard to find. But the people that are upset can get it. And there's a bunch of blanks and you can fill out your complaints. Like your staff is mean. You know, I couldn't find anything. Your prices are too high. And so you write in these complaints and you put it there. And I think a lot of times this is what prayer gets reduced to for us is that our relationship with God and our prayers become that he's just like our complaint department. Lord, can you help me? It's Sally's cancer. Lord, would you take away, would you give me a better job? Lord, did you take away this situation? And we just begin to throw these complaints or requests to the Lord. And so that, that um, becomes kind of the way we approach God. But I think for most people, our growth in prayer never gets beyond kind of our worries and our frustrations. But I think the invitation of the Lord is something much bigger. I think what Jesus wants for us is something much greater than that. And so it's clear that the Lord wants prayer to be more than that. In fact, he says to Martha, he says, one thing is necessary, and I'm not going to take away the good that Mary is doing. She's sitting and being with me. And I think that's what he gets at in John 15 when he says, abide in me. He's saying, be with me, dwell with me, remain connected to me, stay engaged with me. Um, and yet, it's so easy for us to act like Martha, right? Any of you feel that? Any of you feel when you sit down to pray that your mind's going 100 different directions, it's hard for you to be still? This is something we have, to grow, we have to grow in. We need a different approach. I remember years ago, I was reading a guy named Dallas Willard and he was talking about kind of our approach to change and how we change. And one of the things he said was, he, he talked about this and it was funny because when I read it the first time, I thought, well, that's kind of goofy. Like you could have done some alliteration or named it something better that I could remember, but I've actually never forgotten it. But he talks about the VIM approach to change and VIM is vision, intention, and means. The, the, the first thing you need to change is you need a vision. You need a vision for where you want to go. You need a vision for who you want to be or how you want to become, or how you want to become something new. And in that vision that we're talking about in, in this regard, it's I want to abide with Jesus in a way that produces fruitfulness and joy in my life, right? So that's the vision you get out of John 15 is you know, I, want to, I want to dwell with Jesus, remain in him, abide in him in a way that it gives me a fruitful and joyful life. That's the vision for what we have. So you have a vision, then you need an intention. An intention is, I'm gonna make a decision. I wanna commit to something. I actually desire to become that. And so you take that vision. I wanna abide in Jesus in a way that gives me a fruitful, joyful life. You say, man, I'm gonna commit myself to that. I desire, I want that. I mean, I'm gonna be intentional about getting that. 
But there's a third aspect you need. You need means. You need some way in which to make that vision and that intention become a reality. And so as we think about the means, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, I want you to hear this as these are the means by which your intention actually makes your, the vision become a reality for you. And so we're going to talk about these and just want you to think about these spiritual disciplines as the means that enable our visions and intentions to become reality. And so today, I'm just going to talk about two of the spiritual disciplines that we're going to, that we're going to practice as we do this 40-day devotional journey in August and September together. And so I want to start off talking about prayer. Now, in a survey, a bunch of you said prayer was an area that you really wanted to see some growth in your life. And, and prayer is such a common practice, right? I mean, prayer shows up in, in, in great memorable scenes in movies like Talladega Nights and Meet the Parents, right? I mean, those, those, there's no bearing on the reality of prayer in anything related to either of those scenes, but we all remember them, right? Like, I like to pray to tiny little baby Jesus, right? Like, you know, you know the scenes, you remember. So we're familiar with these things. We go, to, we go to public events and sometimes we pray for the evening. We oftentimes pray before meals and uh, we, we see these things lived out all in front of us. And so we've been around prayer. We've oftentimes prayed. We've, uh, we, we've seen and heard people pray. So this isn't a new concept, but I think oftentimes those things actually mislead us from the heart of what prayer really is. And they don't give us a full picture. And it doesn't mean they're all bad, but maybe they just, they're, they're, they're just limited in their ability to show us God's heart for, for what prayer really looks like. Now, when you think about prayer, think about John 15. John 15, 7 says, uh, Jesus, in the passage we've been looking at on the vine, says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus actually connects this passage on the vine to prayer. He says, you can come to me and you can ask for anything you want and it will be done for you. And so he connects this idea of abiding with him, connecting with him, relating to him with prayer. Now, when we begin in prayer, our tendency is to do what? We skip over the first part of that verse and we jump to the second half, right? Ask whatever you want. Like kids, you're going, dude, like at Christmas, I can ask whatever I want and it will be done for me? Like that sounds amazing, right? And <coughs> Excuse me. So we, we jump to the second half of that verse, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But when you think about that, I think Jesus isn't content to be our kind of complaint and request department. That's not enough for him. And so as you think about prayer, you don't stop there. You actually need to go back to the first half of the verse and really see Jesus' heart for what prayer really is. And what he says is he wants a relationship. If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. What does it mean that, that, that his words would abide in us? Have you, ever, um, have you ever had someone's words abide in you? So Jesus is talking about, I want, I want to have real communion. I want to have real fellowship. Let me ask it maybe a different way. Have you ever been in love? Like, have you ever had the experience of someone writing you a love letter and they actually took time to write it by hand and they sent it and you read it over and over and over because it was so important to you and uh, you just, you know, you, you, you memorized certain phrases and you could repeat them back or, or maybe you had that, that quiet moment and you were, on the, you were kind of on the, the porch at the end of the night and they said, I love you for the first time and you went in and you, those words were just in your heart and you're like, she loves me or, you know, you just have these moments. Maybe it's not that. Maybe that's too cheesy for you. Like maybe you just were really down. You really needed some encouragement 
and someone came along to you and said, man, here's what I see in you. And they affirmed your gifts and they affirmed your strengths and affirmed who you are as a person. And like that just impacted you in a way that you just went, man, that built me up in a really strong way. It was a really powerful moment for me. But those are moments where you hid someone's words in your heart. And what Jesus says is, I, I, wanna, I, want, to abide in, I want you to abide in me and I want you to hide my words in your heart. Later he's gonna say, abide in my love. He's saying there's a, there's a love relationship that I want to have with you that, that connects with the deepest place in your soul. I want my words to abide in you at your core. See, the context of our praying is our abiding. The way in which we come to the Lord in prayer is built around our relationship with the Lord and our dwelling in Him and relating to Him. And that's how we ultimately move past kind of the Martha syndrome to actual communion and conversation with God. So as you think about prayer, you've got to be related to him in a way that you're not just filling out a complaint or a request and sending it off to him, but you've got to, you've got to be with him. You've got to look more like Mary, who's one to sit and to listen and just to be present and engaged in the moment. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, prayer is the way we work our way out of the comfortable but cramped world of self into the self-denying but spacious world of God. See, prayer is the way that we un wind the stuff in here and out of stuff that's kind of cramped, worried, anxiety, anger-ridden world in our, own, in our own souls. We work our way out of that into the freedom and the space of God. It's not easy for us though, is it? You know, I find it interesting, uh, someone highlighted this, but in, in the gospels, when you go and look, even in that, that same section of scripture we were just looking at with Mary and Martha, a little bit later, the disciples are talking to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture and where they were, these guys have been praying their whole life. Like they've been praying over and over. They'd heard Jesus pray. They'd done all these things. And there was something though about the way that Jesus prayed, the quantity and the quality of his prayers and how often he prayed and, and, and how his words came out and how related he was to God and how present he seemed to be in the moment that they looked and go, I don't feel like I know anything about prayer. Jesus, Lord, would you, show, would you teach us to pray? And they wanted to learn. Now there's something in that that I think is freeing for us. Do you realize that, Prayer is something you can get better at. Prayer is something you can grow in. Prayer is something you can learn. It's something you have to experience and do, but it's not something that you kind of pop out of the womb with this fully, you know, perfect praying person. Like you're gonna have to grow into this and experience it over time, even the disciples did. And that hopefully that's actually freeing for you to realize. But when we understand that growth takes practice, in some ways it can, it can help minimize our impatience. When you even get impatient with prayer, like you try it three times and go, oh, I guess it didn't work. You know, and you're like, you go out the door, or you get in and you're like, oh, prayer's just stupid, it didn't really change anything. And you become kind of arrogant about prayer. When you look at the disciples and the way they had to learn and the way they had to grow in this, it just is something that's gonna take cultivating over time. William Carey says this, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all godliness. Friends, prayer will shape your life. Prayer will change you. It will transform you if you let it, but not immediately and not instantaneously. So the spiritual, the spiritual disciplines, when we talk about these, are more about transformation than information. They're things that, uh, that have to be experienced and the practices we incorporate into the routines of our day-to-day -day life so that we learn to be something different. They're an acknowledgement that my life is not as deep and as full and as joyful as I want it to be, so I'm gonna practice some things in order to try to engage in some new ways. And so as you think about that, we talk about prayer, I wanna to talk to you about one other, uh, one other key discipline and practice that we're gonna work on over the next couple months. And that is solitude and silence. 
Um, how many of you love to be alone? Like it's your favorite thing. Some of you with lots of kids are like, I'm in. Like, could you give me 24 hours? I would, I would pay big bucks for a little bit of time for that, right? Like we just, we, we wanna find ways to do that. But here's what's interesting. I was reading a while back about a study. And in this study, they were talking about how how difficult it is for us to actually be with ourselves and, and with no one else and to be alone. And in this study, uh, it was talking about uh, this kind of scientific experiment. It said participants were left alone in a room for up to 15 minutes. And then whether they, when they were asked whether they liked the alone time, over half reported disliking it. Then in subsequent sessions, when they would sit in the back of the room for 15 minutes, um, they were given an electric shock and they were asked if they liked the electric shock. And they said, no, they would actually, would they be willing to pay money not to be shocked again? And everyone to a person said, yes, I would pay money to keep you from shocking me, uh, which seems to make sense, right? And here's the trick. The next time they sent them in the room, they knew how to shock and they could shock themselves. And um, it, what it said was that most of the people, uh, nearly half of them chose to self-administer an electric shock to themselves with, rather than just sit still for 15 minutes. Like silence and quiet was so difficult for them, they would rather inflict self-pain and harm than to deal with the moment. Like that's a pretty, that's a pretty sick thing, right? Like, but it tells us how hard it is for us to be alone, for how hard it is for us to be quiet and, and how much, how difficult this is for us. Now, here's what I realize is if, if we can't sit still for 15 minutes by ourselves, how are we gonna sit at the feet of Jesus and listen when we can't see him for 15 minutes, right? And yet you see in Psalms, it says, be still and know that I am God. And what Psalms is telling us is there's a, there's a place where you need to stop your running, stop your business, stop your franticness, and just be still. And, and something in the stillness of that moment of us not, not achieving, not performing, not working, but just resting in the moment allows us to see that he is really God. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Something about our exalting God, worshiping God, our connection to God isn't fulfilled unless we can sit and be still. There's something that we won't know about God if we can't still, our, still ourselves. So silence and solitude, uh, I think you're just incredibly hard for 21st century people. Silence and solitude are being being inefficient on purpose, right? Like being not useful intentionally. You're, you're, you're setting out with a goal of accomplishing nothing when you enter into silence and solitude. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement that we're limited. It's an acknowledgement that we're dependent upon God. <clears throat> and when we're so used to being in control and so used to being busy, it's impossible, it feels impossible to turn it all off, doesn't it? To, to just let it go. And yet silence forces us to admit our limitations. And when we're silent before God, we admit, we admit that we're not God. We admit that, that, that there's someone outside of us that's God and he's the one to be exalt, exalted. In some ways, silence and surrender is an act, of, or silence and solitude are an act of surrender, saying, look, I can't hold the world together, so I'm gonna just sit and acknowledge that you do. In silence and solitude, we're saying, going back to John 15, we're saying to Jesus, you're the vine, I'm the branch, apart from you, I can do nothing, right? So in some ways, we're just acknowledging what Jesus told us to be true is my job is just to sit and to receive from you and to stay connected to you. It means that we're working our way out of our Martha syndrome and working to practice being more like Mary. 
And I kind of wondered as I thought about this week, because I just know my own heart, especially in this season we're living in right now, how difficult it is. I wonder if silence and solitude are not the gateway for us to even be able to pray. Because our minds are so busy that unless we can, unless we begin to unwind our busy minds and undo our worries and unravel our need for control of all the stuff going on around us, I'm not sure we can even sit with the Lord and have true communion and conversation in prayer. And so I think this discipline is an important one for us. And maybe when you practice silence and solitude over the next coming weeks, maybe you just, you visualize this as a way to stop being Martha and transition into a place of being Mary. Then maybe when you take a couple minutes of silence, you just, it, it's a way for you to say, okay, I'm gonna stop being consumed and worried about many things. I'm gonna set those aside and I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna focus and, and be consumed with one thing, which is sitting with Jesus and listening to him. Richard Foster talks about how solitude could actually set us free from loneliness and fear. He says, loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. If we possess inner solitude, we do not fear being alone, neither do we fear being with others, for they don't control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence. Whether alone or among people, we always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. See, solitude is not about being alone, it's about being alone with God. And being alone with God can actually strengthen you and convince you that you're never alone because he's always by your side. It's interesting, Foster goes on and in and, and this chapter, he talks about some of this and he talks about the way Jesus practiced this. And let me just run through some of this. Jesus began his public life by first spending 40 days in solitude and silence in the wilderness. You may remember it was where he was out tempted by Satan. So he began public life by being by himself for 40 days. Uh, he chose 12 apostles. It says that the night before he chose the 12, he spent the entire night praying alone in the desert hills. When he received news of John the Baptist's death, it says he withdrew to a lonely place apart. After miraculously feeding the 5,000, seeing this amazing miracle, it says he went up into the hills by himself. After a long night of work, we read that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went off to a desolate place and there he prayed. When he went up to the mountain for the transfiguration, it said that he, he took his closest friends, but he went to a quiet mountaintop where, where he could get away from all the bustle and hurry. As he prepared to go to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he went off by himself to pray. So when we think about the spiritual disciplines, what we're really saying is, I want to be more like Jesus. I, I, I want to I live like Jesus did. And surely if Jesus needed to be solitary and, and have silence and focus on his prayer, on prayer, we need to do the same. Dallas Willard says, I'm, I'm learning from Jesus how to live my life as he would live my life if he were me. Right? I like that. I'm learning from him how he would live. If, if he were me, this is how he would live. He, this is how he would live my life. I want to learn how to do that. So Jesus wants our undivided attention. Ladies, let me ask you this. Have you ever been on a date with someone and as you're sitting there, this is you know, someone who they've, they've given you their whole heart. They care for you. They actually cared enough to put a collared shirt on and take a shower. They're going out on this date for a special experience. They actually planned ahead and invited you to go with them somewhere. And you go to a restaurant and you sit down at a table. And as you do that, and you're thinking, oh, this is gonna be such a special time. And as you kind of get into that moment, all of a sudden you notice that they position themselves to where they, on the side of the table that gives them a really clear view of the TV. And as you sit there and you just begin to talk to them about your day, you notice that they're constantly doing one of these things. 
looking up at the game in the background. And there's something in you that wants what? I mean, like maybe to punch him, right? Like, I thought this was special. I thought I mattered. I thought you cared about me, but you're clearly more engaged in whatever happens with that bouncing ball over there than you are with whatever happens in my life. Because you just want their attention. And, and like, let's, we could turn this around the other way, right, too? Like, guys, how many times have you been trying to talk to your wife and she keeps texting someone else? Like, I mean, we could, this could work either way, but there's something in us that wants someone's undivided attention. And I think what we look at and what Jesus is saying here is, man, I really value you enough. I love you enough that I want you to abide in my love. I want you to abide in me. I want you to dwell in me. I want you to be connected to me. And I want to nourish your life in a way that's life-giving and full for, for you. John 15, 9, as the Father loved me, so I've loved you. Abide now in my love. So as we think about the next couple of months, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to, I'm going to ask you to grab this book. And I want to ask you to go on a journey with us. And it's not about the book. Uh, the book's not perfect. I've never read a book I thought was perfect in my life other than, other than this one. Make sure I don't get fired. Like th- this, one I get, this one I'll sign off on. The rest of them, like they're not all perfect. So eat the meat, spit out the bones, take what you can. We're going to learn, but we're going to go on a journey together and we're going to walk through this. And I'll just acknowledge, like there's a word, it's, the, the kind of branding on this is emotionally healthy. And some of you are like, oh gosh, I'm checking out. And usually you're the ones that need it the most, but that's a different story. But when you think about this, just don't write it off. It's just, it's a devotional book. It's gonna give us some practices and we're gonna practice silence and we're gonna practice prayer and we're gonna practice just looking at some uh, scriptures together and we're gonna reflect on some things together. And we're doing that because we wanna help you grow in terms of your time management, in terms of your prayer and in terms of your connection to the Lord. And so that's the heartbeat behind what, we're, what we want to do. Um, but let's remember this. Jesus says that all the things he's saying about abiding in the vine, he's saying so that, your, that his joy might be in you and your joy may be full. That's, what, that's what's really driving this. That's what we want to be about. And so we're going to do something over the next couple of weeks that's going to be a little bit different. As I conclude the preaching before we head into communion, we're going to actually practice the thing we're talking about. So we're going to give you a couple minutes of silence. We're going to give you a couple minutes just to reflect. We're going to give you a couple minutes to be alone with the Lord. And so we're going to put a couple questions on the screen behind me. And um, we're going to give you a couple minutes just to, just to process this. And then we'll move into a time of communion. Uh, Father, would you give us life in Christ? Would you help us understand what it means to abide, to dwell, to remain, to be connected to him in a way that makes us fruitful and joyful? Father, we pray it in his name. Amen.